Um, like uh, Jess said, every autumn we do this series called Family Traits, where we essentially just look at what does it mean to be part of this family? Uh, what, what, what makes village, village in our specific context, uh, and why and how is that rooted in the Bible? So um, we've used that, that series in the past for different kind of ways to look at our family. This year, we're, we're going to essentially take six weeks to unpack again gospel, community, and mission. So that's the kind of three spheres of all that we do, uh, gospel, community, mission. What we're specifically looking at, we're taking six weeks to look at uh, this kind of three-year vision, three-year goals that hopefully a lot of you will be familiar with. We've talked a lot about it. Um, uh, yeah, so um, just a bit of background for this kind of, these three goals, this three-year vision. Um, over a year ago, our elders were away for the day together, and we were praying, we were thinking about the future, um, where church is going, and uh, at that time, we knew that the next few years ahead of us were going to be, there's going to be a lot of change, there's going to be a lot of transition, um, especially for our East congregation, uh, but that would affect our South congregation as well, because we are still one church, two interdependent congregations. So um, we knew at that time that uh, Lucas, who a lot of you will know, kind of our founding pastor, he started kind of Planted Village um, about 10 years ago. We knew that he was about to move to America. Um, so we knew there was going to be a lot of change, a lot of transition for us uh, as a family. Um, because of that, we, we wanted to have just a set of goals, a set of like, here's, some, here's three things that we can just rally around as a church family. As we make our way through a couple years of change, um, not upheaval, not chaos, but just a bit of change. Um, here's three things we can constantly kind of come back to and, and focus on and, and kind of sink our teeth in together as a church family. So that's the kind of idea behind the, these three goals, uh, and they fall in line with the, those three spheres of gospel, community, mission. So over the next six weeks, we're going to take, we're going to kind of work through those things and take two weeks for each of them. Um, I won't give you this big, long introduction and overview of them all because we don't have time. We have a lot to get through. Um, we're just going to kind of dig in each week as they come. But just so you know what they are, uh, these first two weeks, we're going to learn what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to practice being in his presence uh, every step of our day? Um, the, the next two weeks after that, we're going to look at this, this goal of, of growing in generosity as a church family, as a, as a people, um, and then the final two weeks, we'll, we'll look outwards and, and we'll focus on mission. What, what does it look like for us to share Jesus with our city? Um, this morning, we're going to start with abiding in Jesus, which is really, it's our starting point for all that we do. It's the starting point for everything that you do as, uh, as a follower of Jesus is this. Um, it, it's really the only way we're actually able, we're able to accomplish the other two goals. When we actually get to like uh, doing stuff for the Lord, it's the only way we're going to be able to do that. Um, is by being with Jesus. Being with Jesus, communion with Jesus, fellowship with him, that's our starting point for, for every day, for, for all that we do. Um, this is something that's been stirring in my heart. The Lord's just kind of been pressing this into my heart for a long time. Um, I remember uh, when I was 20, which is sad, sadly nearly 20 years ago, um, uh, I remember this vivid moment where the gospel became really real to me. And and all I wanted to do was to be with Jesus. Like, if there's a free time in my, in my life, I'm like, how can I be with Jesus? And uh, it just started to stir in me. And um, as, like a lot of you, life 
When you're 20, you don't have nothing to do. That's just, you can just do that a lot. You can go, go sit in a coffee shop and be with Jesus for hours and read. It's amazing. Um, but as a lot of you know, life gets busy. And, and I had a family and I have kids and I have a job and um, life goes on. And, and the question then became, and still is for me, what does it actually look like to be with him? What does it look like to, to be with Jesus and to uh, kind of dwell with him? Um, that's, that's the, the question we're just trying to answer. Um, I felt a lot of uh, pressure when I first started to, to look at the, these two weeks. Two weeks to teach you how to do that. Two weeks, here's how you abide with Jesus. Well, here's exactly what that means. Here's some steps how to do that. Um, I felt that pressure, but I immediately kind of went to the Lord and, and just felt him saying, relax, because that's not possible. Um, it's not possible to, to learn that in two weeks. This is a lifelong thing. Um, and I f- immediately just felt him say, just bring them to me. Just, just take these people and point them to me again. That's, that's what I want you to do. And so then from there, that's been my prayer. Uh, Lord, give me two sermons that will just, just kind of fan the flame in, in your hearts for doing this. Um, at the end of two weeks, hopefully you just want to be with him a little bit more. A little bit more than what you are right now. So um, that's my goal over the next two Sundays. Point you to Jesus um, I want you to see the importance of abiding in Jesus. Uh, I want you to see that it's actually the, on, the only way forward for the people of God. Um, I want you to, uh, to know that being aware of God's presence in your life, moment by moment, it's not something just for the spiritually elite. It's for all of you in this room. It's for every follower of Jesus. Um, and I want you to realize that this life of daily abiding with Jesus, it's actually the only way for you to, to get what you most want out of life. Um, so that's my two goals. Um, this first week, I just want to give a biblical kind of foundation of abiding in Jesus. What is it? What, do we, what does what it mean? When we're saying abide in Jesus, I want you to know what we actually mean. Um, I want you to see why we are called into it. I want you to, sh- uh, to show you again that um, this isn't just for spiritual superstars. It's for all followers of Jesus. Um, and then we'll look at what Jesus says about it. So um, hopefully next week we'll... Uh, We'll get into some more examples and, and dig a little bit deeper. So let me pray first one more time. Um, Father, we love you. We just confess that um, we, we don't love you near enough or consistently, um, but we thank you that you love us and that your love for us is steadfast. It never ends. Um, may we be reminded of that love today, Lord. Um, Holy Spirit, um, teach us now. Um, give us your wisdom that comes from above in a way that only you can do. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if I had to put into words um, what this kind of first goal is, um, it's this, that we'd learn to practice the presence of God better or, or deeper in every facet of our lives. Let me say that again. That we'd learn to practice the presence of God better and deeper in every facet of our lives. Um, let's back up a little bit. What do, we, what do we even mean by practice? Practice the presence of God. What does that mean? Um, by that, I mean learning to discern and to develop habits of his awareness. Learn to de- discern and develop habits of God's awareness of his presence, if not all day, every day, just at least a little bit more than what we're typically doing right now. Um, so we want to learn to practice his presence. We want to learn to be aware of his presence. Uh, we want to learn to develop habits 
uh, of being aware of his presence, not just on Sundays, not just at kind of specific devotional moments in your life, but all through your day. Um, You'll hear different phrases that we use for this. Um, They all mean the same thing, practice the presence of God, abiding in Christ, abiding with Jesus, remaining in Christ, walking with God, uh, keeping in step with the Spirit. All Bible phrases and words all essentially mean the same thing. Um, Really, the Bible makes it crystal clear why we are called to live in this way. You heard it in John 15. Jesus says, if you don't do this, you can accomplish nothing of lasting value. Without abiding in me, you will accomplish nothing of lasting value. Uh, Sometimes in in the New Testament, Jesus kind of says, he kind of speaks in parables. Sometimes it's a little bit mysterious. That's not what he does here. (laughs) He's being very, very blunt. Without me, you can do nothing. Um, He's saying without staying connected to him, we actually won't be able to live like God wants us to live. And we won't be able to live the way that you were created to live. Um, and you also won't get what you most want out of life. Um, it seems simple enough, but here's the big obstacle, is we live in a world that is clamoring for every bit of your attention. Isn't that true? Don't you experience that? We live in a world where the, uh, the a world that clamors for every bit of your attention. Um, I, I don't know if we can say that humans are busier than we've ever been, um, but I'm pretty confident to say that we're more distracted than we've ever been in, at any point in human history. The, the, the world is, is literally paying billions to capture your attention and your affections from the moment you wake up until the moment you fall asleep at night. And it's, it's loud, isn't it? It's incessant. And if we're honest with each other, it usually wins. Um, and if you've grown up in church at all, um, here's the answer that's been put before you then. You've been taught as Christians that your main line of defense for, uh, against this kind of distracting, uh, attention, affection-grabbing world is a daily quiet time. Um, if only we were disciplined enough to carve out these quiet times, which are generally first thing in the morning, the beginning of your day, and before we head out into the world for the rest of our day, if only we're able to do that, then possibly we'll be able to stay faithful to Jesus. Um, And on one level, I I agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree that a quiet time with him in his word, in prayer, in silence and solitude is is absolutely essential. Um, You won't be able to abide in him if that's not part of your life. But I've learned that it's not enough. Um, a, A daily or a morning quiet time, it's not enough, but it's also not what you've been called into. What Jesus has called you into, is calling you into, is to come to him and to stay there, to to abide there. That's what that word abide means. It means to dwell. It means to remain. It means to stay, to make this your home. So it's not uh, just parts of your day or kind of dipping in and out. He's calling you to do it all the time, to remain with him. And so here's my proposal, this is our goal again, that we learn to take those moments in our life with God, those those moments of being in his presence, uh, of being in communion with him, of of fellowship with Jesus, we learn to take those, that moment, that time with us everywhere. So our abiding with him, it's not just for those quiet times, it's actually for the the noisy, the the busy, the, the everyday ordinary times as well. It's for when you get up and when you're like making breakfast, 
It's for when you're, maybe if you have kids, you're getting your kids ready for the day. It's for when you're getting ready for work. It's for when you're on your way to work. It's for when you're, you're maybe disciplining your kids. It's for when you're, you're getting ready for a, a date. It's for when you're going on a, a night out with the girls. I don't know what you... But we're talking about those noisy, ordinary moments of your day, incorporating practices into our life that help keep us aware of his divine presence moment by moment. That's what Jesus is calling you into. Um, And again, I want to make it clear that this is what he's calling all of you into. And this isn't just for uh, the the spiritually elite. It's not just for, it's it's, it's for you. No matter how, what kind of level of spiritual maturity you're at, which is going to vary in the room, isn't there? It's, it's for all of you. So if you're a brand new Christian, this is for you. This isn't for you to maybe get to, ascribe to someday. This is for you. Learn, please learn from the get-go how to abide in Jesus, how to practice being in his presence uh, all day. Learn that now. Or maybe you've been in church for years, and, and maybe you've, you've, you, like me in my life, have, have drifted away from him over time. But you feel this tug on your heart that to, to kind of rekindle your relationship with God. This is for you. Or maybe you've, you've been in church for a while and you've never even learned how to abide in Jesus. This, this is for you. This is, this is how you will rekindle that relationship with God. Or maybe you're a mature believer and you do this. You, you, you actually have a, a, a close relationship with God. You feel that closeness with him. Brother or sister, this is for you because we will never accomplish mining the depths of his love for all of eternity. Just like any relationship, there's always ways to grow closer with someone and to get to know them even more. There's always ways to draw closer to God, to draw near to him. So this is for you as well. I want each and every person here to realize that abiding in Jesus daily, becoming more aware of his presence and enjoying that presence moment by moment is something that you can and need in your life. It's, it's possible for everyone in this room. Um, here's the lie. The lie is that this living in God's presence, moment by moment, enjoying Him, it's just for super Christians, which isn't even a thing. That's a lie. That's a lie from the devil. Here's the truth. It's that this way of a living, this abiding in Jesus, practicing the presence of God throughout your day, it's actually an innate capacity of every single believer. It's something that you can cultivate in your life. That's the truth, and you need to believe that. Um, here's why that's true. is because from the time a person puts their faith in Jesus, believes and kind of transfers their faith onto him, God puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. You become the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. He's with you always. He, he's abiding in you. He's dwelling in you. So you have that, that spirit now available to us every second of the day. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Paul asked the, the Corinthians this question. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? Do you not know that the God's spirit dwells in you? I want to ask that question to you as well. Or tell you again, you are a temple. You are a holy dwelling place for God's spirit. Isn't that amazing? How can you possibly think that living without this awareness of him is somehow impossible? 
It's not. The truth is, uh, it's available. But the truth is also that most of us actually live largely unaware of his divine presence, don't we? To our own detriment, to our own impoverishment. Uh, But more than that, out of the risk of being disobedient to the commands of Jesus. Um, So if you've ever had this thought, man, I just hate my sin. I, 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 I hate my sin and how it gets in the way of me being obedient to Jesus. I wish I could just follow him better. Does anybody ever think that? Put your hand up if you feel that way ever. I hate my sin. I just wish I could stop sinning long enough to, be, to follow him, to be more faithful to him. All that, that practical stuff that we've worked through with James about being a doer of the word, I just wish I could stop sinning long enough to actually follow through with some of those things. If you've ever had that thought, first of all, that's a gift to you from God. That, that, that desire for holiness, it's a gift. It's, it's not something that you can just kind of conjure up. It's, it's by the grace of God that you feel that way. So thank God, firstly, for those desires. Um, but I want you to hear me when I say the next steps or the answer to those desires is not, well, I just need to try harder. Only, if only I could, I could work harder at this. If only I could figure this out and try harder. Brother and sister, the answer to becoming more obedient is not to try harder. The answer is to be with Jesus more. That's what the Bible t- teaches us. Jesus says in, that in John 15, whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. What's the opposite of, of that? What's the positive way to say that? He's saying, you want to do something? You, you want to bear fruit in your life? Be with me. Come to me and stay with me. That's how you'll do it. Jesus says, that's actually the only way for you to do it. The answer to becoming more obedient to Jesus is not to try harder, it's to be with him more. It's not for the spiritual elite, it's for all followers of Jesus. And there's a lot of examples we can look at for this this way of life. Um, One of my personal heroes is Brother Lawrence. If you don't know who that is, he was a, um, well at the time he wasn't a famous uh, man, he's now quite well-known Frenchman who lived in the 17th century. I love him as an example because he wasn't this like great personality. He wasn't this big pastor. He didn't write a lot of books. He didn't have a huge following. He was a cook. He, he, was, a, he was a dishwasher in a, in a monastery kitchen. But he cultivated this life of continually being aware of God's presence. And he experienced so much peace and so much joy in God's presence that people were drawn to him. And he just mentored people throughout his life. And he kept a journal of his life experiences, uh, which was eventually made into a small book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, Recommend you read that. I'll give you some recommended reading uh, at the end of next week. Uh, But in that book, you read, this humble man came to this point, as he said, uh, of keeping his mind in God's holy presence, being aware of God's presence, and, and recalling that as often as he found it drifting from him. He developed this habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul, this praying without ceasing, which was ongoing as he went about his normal day. And he actually considered his normal work, doing dishes in the kitchen, uh, making meals for people. He considered that as sacred as 
kneeling on his knees in prayer in a cathedral. So his goal was, whatever he was doing, whether it be kind of quiet time in the Lord, prayer and worship, or simply washing dishes in the noisy kitchen, his goal was to be aware of God's presence and to enjoy that communion with the Lord. And so he had this prayer that he'd pray while working in the noisy kitchen. He's, uh, he'd pray, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. So he had this incredibly simple way of living, but it was incredibly deep and profound. Um, and it changed his life uh, and the life of others around him. His, his deep yet simple way of living, uh, it followed this tradition of the Benedictine monks of the 5th cent- and 6th century. They had the saying, ora et labora, which means work and pray. It, this idea of, of work while praying and praying while working. So, so it's, it's, in other words, everything matters to God. Every moment can be devoted to Him. There's, there's not this need to separate the, the sacred things of life, the holy things, and the secular things. In fact, we can't do that. Um, and, and that was Brother Lawrence's way of living, just to demolish this idea that some things in your life are sacred, are devotional, are kind of holy, and then some things are not. He just demolished that idea. So even when he was in the kitchen scrubbing pots and pans, he would, even in those moments, he would say those moments for him were just as blissful as if he were in, on his knees in prayer in a quiet time with the Lord. And he had quiet times with the Lord. He had silence and prayer and solitude with the Lord. But what he did was he took that with him throughout the rest of, the, uh, of his day. And he continued to practice the presence of God throughout his day, no matter what he was doing. Um, he had some, in that book, he has some fantastic journal entries where he describes these times in the busy kitchen, where he's also at the same time in communion with the Lord, and he's so enthralled with God's presence. He's so enjoying God's presence with him. He's so kind of filled with joy. These moments that you may have experienced as well, but we normally experience them in special times or in special places. So maybe it's like a prayer and worship night. If you've ever been to one of our prayer and worship nights, you can maybe feel like God's presence is here. Um, it's such a joyful thing. Um, maybe it, it, you get away to like a conference or a, um, a camp or a retreat or something. Or uh, maybe for you, it's, you ever kind of stood on the beach at sunset and you're just kind of blown away by God's glory and your heart is just kind of filled with his presence and you burst into worship. He's experiencing those kind of moments of pure bliss and worship and joy, but for him, it would just be in the middle of the chaotic kitchen, pots and pans clankering about, and he's just in a time of bliss with the Lord. He would even write of having to kind of restrain himself. He'd have to like cover up his physical facial expressions so that people wouldn't think he was just mad. Like who in their right mind would, would just be experiencing the bliss and the joy of God's presence while doing dishes, while making soup? You must be an idiot. So you have to kind of cover that up. I love that. But for him, he no longer thought of his life as kind of bifurcated into the, the sacred and the secular. For him, all of life was spent dwelling in God's presence and enjoying him. And again, I want you to realize that that's available for all of you. Every single Christian, because they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, has the capacity to live like that. It's open and it's available to you. Um, 
It's not something you learn in two weeks. Like I said, it's not something you learn overnight. It's, it's a lifelong process. Brother Lawrence was in his 50s when he started to really learn this, um, which I love. I think it shows you that, A, it's not too late. Some of you more mature brothers and sisters, it's not too late. But also, for, our, for the younger ones, it's a lifelong process, so have patience and have faithfulness in that. Um, we're talking about a relationship with someone, but that someone happens to be God. But like any relationship, it takes time, doesn't it? It takes work. Um, it takes awkward stages. Um, it takes work, takes a lot of failure, like any good relationship, um, but it's worth it and it's possible. I hate to tell you there's no magical formula. It'd be easy if there was. Here's a 12-step plan for abiding in Jesus. Do these 12 steps and, and you'll have it figured out. Um, that's not how relationships work. Um, there's, it takes time. It takes learning. It takes failing. Um, there's no formula for walking with God. Um, there are essential elements, um, which I'll get to. There's some essential elements that everyone will be in everyone's life, needs to be in everyone's life, uh, if you want to learn to abide in Jesus daily. But um, there's no magical formula. There's no 12-step plan, and you'll have it mastered. And um, there's a lot of practices, and there's a lot of habits. Some things may work for one person and not for the other. Something might work for you for a little while and then maybe grow cold and you'll have to come again. Um, there's a lot, there's a plethora of methods, different ways of drawing near to God. But before we even, before we get to those, before we start to touch on any of those things, it's essential that you know this. There's one thing that all the practices have in common. They each go through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's essential that you understand that because Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the way. He makes it very clear that a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him, it's the only way, it's the only point of entry into this kind of life with God. He says that in John chapter 10, John 14. There's no other way into this life of enjoying the presence of God but through Jesus. That's your starting point. He is your starting point. And what you see, what we're talking about is grace. What we're talking about, your entry into this way of a life enjoying the presence of God is a gift. It's, it's not something that you can earn. Your access to God is, is purely about what Jesus has accomplished for you. It's purely about what he has done on your behalf on his death on the cross. Your access to God has nothing to do with your pious life. Your access to God has nothing to do with your holy habits. None of those things will gain you access, will gain you favor with God. There's only one way to gain access, and it's through Jesus. It's by receiving his precious gift that's freely on offer to you. And I want to make that clear before we even get any further. This way of life, this way of practicing the presence of God, we're not talking about it as the way for you to gain access to Him. That's, that's only through Jesus. We're talking about it as the way that you now enjoy that access. It's the way, the way to be continually aware of His presence that He has freely brought you into. It's essential that you understand that. Otherwise, you're going to get exhausted you'll be worn out from performing. 
Um, if, you un- if you misunderstand and think that a life of practicing the presence of God has anything to do with you gaining access to Him, if it has anything to do with you making Him love you more, it's gonna, you're going to crash and burn. But once you realize that it's actually just about you responding to what He's done for you, it's about you celebrating and enjoying that free gift, that access He has freely given to you, then and only then will it actually bring freedom and joy into your life. Turn over your Bibles in John 15. Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, he's just starting. I'm not. I'm actually coming to a close. Um, Just want to finish by looking to Jesus and seeing what he says about this. Um, The entire Bible is is full of imagery uh, about how to live in God's presence um, but this is probably the most famous and uh, the most direct, which um, is straight from the mouth of Jesus. A um, bit of background to this text. Um, Jesus has gathered his disciples here um, for one last time, one last meal together. Um, he has some important things to, to say to them before he is crucified. So after this meal together and this conversation, Jesus gets up from the table, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to be betrayed, arrested, and killed. Um, so he's, he's telling them here, though, that he's about to leave them, which is confusing to them. It's, it's, it's difficult, it's confusing, because the Scriptures say that the Messiah was going to come and he would reign forever. Um, so it's confusing because he, that he says, I'm about to leave you, um, but he tells them that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit and that he would never leave them and his presence will be constant with them. And he actually tells them that that's a better option for them, for, for him to leave for a little while so he can send the Holy Spirit to come and be with them. They'll have constant access, constant guidance, constant uh, comfort from the Holy Spirit. And he tells them that he's, gonna, he's actually leaving to prepare a place for them, and then he'll return again. Um, so that's the context uh, that he says uh, this in chapter 15. Read it one more time. Uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine, And my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Abide in me and I in you. What does that mean? Remain in me and I will remain in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a lot of things Jesus' disciples were confused about, (laughs) constantly kind of confused. They didn't quite understand just yet, and especially during these final few days. So Jesus uses this imagery of a vine, uh, not to kind of confuse them more, but actually to make it crystal clear. He uses this, this imagery of a vine to get us point across as clear as possible, and because he knew they would get this. Um, because for any Jew, which if you're unaware, Jesus and his disciples were Jews, um, any good Jew would know that a reference to a vine is a reference to the nation of Israel. That's kind of Old Testament 101. Anytime a vine is mentioned, you're supposed to know that person is referring to God's people, the nation of Israel. And, and, and their minds would have gone immediately to Genesis 12, where God makes this covenant with Abraham that he would actually make Abraham's descendants, his family, 
into this great nation. And this, this flourishing family would be the way that God would bless the world. It's, it's through this, this flourishing family line that God would reveal himself to the rest of the world. That's God's plan. And when you read the Old Testament, you see that God kept his end of that covenant. He was faithful to it. You see, you read the story, and God grew Abraham's family into this nation of Israel. And he planted them in the beautiful land. He provided them with everything they needed. He cultivated them by his law, uh, these tangible reminders of his presence. And you're meant to see that God is this gardener who is growing this vine who would flourish and bless the world. Um, and those promises to Abraham were, were nearly realized. But we read that because of these, the people of Israel, their, their selfishness, the people of Israel failed in their role as the vine, and they split into two. And the prophet Hosea said that Israel had become a worthless vine because it brought its blessings only to itself. What was the purpose of the vine? It was to bless the world, but they kept their blessings for themselves. And he said the more fruit that increased, the more altars they built for false gods. And Jeremiah said the vine had grown corrupt and wild. Ezekiel said the vine bran vine's branches wouldn't even make for good firewood. They're completely useless. They've completely failed. So this, this vine imagery was, was very clear. It was very meaningful to first century Jews, but not in a positive way. You understand that? It, it reminded them of Israel's failure to be the vine that God wanted them to be. And it reminded them of that covenant that God made with Abraham and that God was faithful to his part of the covenant, but Israel was not. And Israel failed, they were selfish, they were a corrupt vine, which is why in verse one, Jesus starts by saying, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. I'm going to be faithful in the role of the vine. He's contrasting the unfaithful vine that Israel had become, which kept its blessings for itself and dishonored God. He's, he's contrasting that with himself, the, 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 the true vine, he calls himself. He would be faithful. He would be trustworthy. He would be strong enough to provide them with everything they needed to bear fruit. So God's plan hasn't changed. God still plans to bless the world through a vine that spread its branches wide, he's just going to be using a new rootstock. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I am the true vine. It's going to be through me that God will bless the world through those who are connected to me. And so his followers now, who actually stay connected to him, will now be able to be faithful, will now be able to bear fruit and to bless the world in this way. What a glorious new situation that he brings us into. This new situation, Jesus is the vine, and God's people are not the vine. We are simply the branches of the vine. We are the branches whose only job is to stay connected to the vine. Our only job is to never leave the vine, to, to constantly draw health from the vine, to constantly draw energy from the vine. And again, Jesus is saying, this is your only option if you want to be with God. This is your only option if you want to remain faithful, if you want to bear fruit. The only option is to stay with me. You can either abide in me, bear fruit, bless the world, or you can 
cut yourself off, separate yourself, and wither and die. Um, so there's really only one option if we want to produce fruit. Um, but he wants you to see more than that. There's so much more to that. Jesus isn't saying, hey, it's the only option. Deal with it. You choose. Um, he doesn't stop there. He continues because he not only wants you to see that this is the only option, he also wants you to see just how an amazing of an option it is. So he does that in verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, that your joy may be complete. He's, he's not this frustrated leader. He's not this frustrated parent that says, you guys screwed it up. You couldn't do it. So stay by my side. Don't leave. I'm going to have to do it. That's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying, I'm concerned for your joy. He's saying, I'm, I'm introducing this, this new glorious way of life where it's no longer up to you to conjure up your own faithfulness. It's no longer up to you to, 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 to produce your own fruit in this new way, in this better way. I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to supply you the power. I'm going to supply you everything that you need to be faithful, to bear fruit. All you need to do is be with me. It's to stay connected to me. That's it. Come to me and stay there. Abide there. Dwell there. Remain in my love. And I'll give you everything you need, including joy unspeakable. What a glorious new way. What a much better new way. It's the only way, but it's so superior. You see that abiding in Jesus, practicing the moment-by-moment -moment presence of God, not only the way to accomplish God's will for you, which is to produce fruit and to bless the world, it's the only way to get what you truly most want out of life, which is joy to the full, joy complete. Just as we draw to close, I want you to see that abiding in Jesus, it's not only the only way for you to be faithful to God, for you to do His will, for you to have joy in your life, it's actually also the only way for you to be who you were created to be. It's a common theme in our culture, isn't it? Who are you? Why, why were you created? What's your purpose? Jesus is saying, the Bible is saying, this is it. This is what you were created for. And because I think all this talk of, of Jesus about vines and flourishing and bearing fruit, you're also, it's also meant to take your mind back to a garden. You're meant to think back to Genesis 1 as well, where God was speaking creation into being. There was vegetation sprouting up, creatures uh, being brought forth, fish and sea creatures swarming about, life. Um, and his command at that time was to creation was, Bear fruit, multiply, bear fruit, flourish. That's his very first command to, to humans as well. In Genesis 1.27, God says to humans, he says God, was, God created us, created humans in his image. Male and female, he created them. And then he blesses them. It's the first thing he does. He blesses them. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That's that that. That's your purpose again. That's what you were created for. And the Bible is it's, it's full of people who seemed to experience God's presence deeply, walking closely with Him. Um, but really, there's only 
two humans in the Bible, apart from Jesus, that enjoyed perfect, unbroken fellowship with their maker. And that's all the way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They were created into it. They experienced this sinless experience, this relationship with God that knew no bounds of sin. You see in Genesis 3 that they knew God so well that they recognized the sound of him walking in the garden. What you read in Genesis 3, it becomes a a terrifying thing for them. But before that, it must have been the sweetest sound of their day. Here he comes. We get to be with him. We get to experience communion with him. They walked and they knew God personally, intimately, continually, with, and joyfully, without any barrier to sin at all. How amazing must that have been? That's what you were created for. What you were created to experience, to be in constant communion with him, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to be filled with joy. And now in, G- in John 15, Jesus is saying, there's a way back into that. Since Adam and Eve, no one's really experienced that in a perfect way, but Jesus is saying, there's a way back into that, and it's through me. It's, it's by remaining in me. It's by staying connected to me. What beautiful imagery that Jesus uses to make it pretty simple in a lot of ways. It's incredibly deep. It's incredibly profound. It's incredibly life-changing, but in a lot of ways, it's incredibly simple. We are branches. We are not the vine. Our job is to remain in the vine, to stay connected to him, Jesus, to abide in his love. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just in that, those devotional quiet moments at the beginning of your day. He's inviting you to dwell there constantly. Brother, sister, this life of abiding in Christ, of dwelling in his love, practicing his presence, it is available to each and every one of you this morning. And the bottom line is that life with Christ and in Christ, it's how we must live as Christians, but it should also be how we should want to live as Christians. And we can run ourselves ragged and we get exhausted, don't we? If you feel that way today, this morning, exhausted. That my morning already has exhausted me. You feel like you're in the middle of a desert, parched at times. I want you to hear Jesus lovingly and gently say to you again, child, apart from me, you can do nothing. Here is invitation again when he says, come to me if you're weary you're heavy laden, if your heart is broken, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you joy to the full. You just have to come to me and remain with me. And may the Lord help us do that. And I hope you want that a little bit more this morning. And we'll pick it back up next week and dig a little bit deeper. And let me pray. You stand with me and we'll pray.
And Father, we confess that we so often run away from you still rather than running to you. That's just our nature. That's what we, we know by nature. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for loving us so much, even while we were still sinners, even while we were against you by nature. You loved us so much that you proved that love by sending Jesus to come and die for us, to open up a way for us to come near to you again. That's how much you wanted us to be with you. And may that sacrifice, may that gift just explode in our hearts again. And may we realize who you are, what you've done for us. And may that give us new affections. May it change our heart. May it change what we want. Lord, give um, my brothers and sisters this morning um, just a heart for you, a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of of yearning for you like a deer that pants for water. And we love you. We thank you for what you've done. Uh, Help us. Uh, We can't do this alone. We need you. Um, Help us, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.